This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, here we go. Midlife Mail Podcast time. Thank you guys so much for joining me on the show this week and every week. Love doing it. Love bringing these guys to you. Love telling the stories, putting out the content. So please keep that feedback coming. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. The goal is to keep the Midlife Mail movement growing and bring you better guests, better content, better stories week in and week out. We're all in this together, just trying to do the best we can, keep moving forward, living life a little better, a little brighter each and every day. So with that in mind, let's talk about Cassidy Phillips. Here's a guy who has done a lot of stuff. He has accomplished a lot. He has been through a lot. He is a dad. He is a husband. He is an entrepreneur. He is now an author and also a podcast host. For over 26 years, he has been an entrepreneur. This is a guy who started out making his living as an actor. He produced feature films, started one even, traveled around the world, parlayed his success into a production management company, and ultimately became the founder of Trigger Point Therapy. You know those foam rollers that you saw in the gym, the bright orange, the bright green, the black and green, uh, that had kind of that, that grid, that's what they call it, that grid vibe to them. They just elevated it and took it up a whole nother level. Well, when he was feeling pretty bad, beat up as an athlete, uh, looking for a way to fix himself, to repair himself, overcome some obstacles. That's when he founded Trigger Point Therapy. It took him over 13 years to build it up. He took a $17,000 loan, turned it into over $60 million in sales company, and in 2014, sold Trigger Point to the Implus Corporation. He then went on to write a book about it. Blissful Ignorance, The Art of Being an Entrepreneur, and all of his experiences. He has now also parlayed that into the Blissful Ignorance podcast. This is a guy who shows no signs of slowing down. He's got an unbelievably unique perspective and philosophy on life. And we had a chance to sit down at his house and talk about all this stuff. So let's not just hear it from me. Let's hear it from Cassidy Phillips on the Midlife Mail podcast. Here we go. All right. Good morning from Austin, Texas. Midlife Mail podcast time. Thank you for joining me. I am here at the beautiful home of Mr. Cassidy Phillips this morning. Cassidy, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for thanks for having me here. So the first time we met, I don't even know if you remember it at all. I was brought into the Trigger Point offices. This has got to be be 12 years ago at this point, 12, oh, wow. 13 years ago. And I was with two guys, Diego Centeno mm-hmm. and Miguel Garza. Oh my gosh. If you remember those guys. I do. Okay. I do, yeah. And we got to know each other through the CrossFit scene yeah. way back, way back when. Oh, was that when they were coaching? Were they coaching at our office or? So at the time, I believe, and I'll send this to these guys and they can verify it and see where I fucked this up or not. Yeah. But Diego was working with SickFit or out of CrossFit oh at the time. Yeah. And Miguel was in law school or figuring it out. Yep. And they had a vision, which I still think was brilliant back then. They wanted to represent 
CrossFit athletes, like as an agency. Yes. That the sport of fitness was That's blowing right. up. Yeah. And I, th- I thought it was and, brilliant. And Jeremy Thiel was in, involved in the SickFit side of it, I believe. He was with yeah. a guy named uh, Wes, maybe? Yeah, his <laughs> wife worked for us mm-hmm. at the time. Okay, and she was a great uh, she was a great CrossFit yeah, athlete. she was a great athlete. athlete. Lindsay Smith. Yeah, that's, that's yes. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she was awesome. And I remember that whole scene at the time. The whole mm-hmm. scene was awesome. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was, I thought, at the height of authenticity of, of CrossFit and 100%. health and fitness. And Austin was going, was going gangbusters with it. And I was really into it, too, even as an older, older person than they were you yes. know, at, at the time. Yeah. But I did think that idea was way ahead of its time, proved out to be ahead of its time, to represent those types of elite-level Yes. Sport of fitness athletes. Um, But they've both gone on to great things. (laughs) Yeah. What's Miguel doing? So Miguel founded a company called Siete Foods. Okay. Siete is an incredible brand of of grain-free tortilla chips, tortillas, and it has blown up to become one of the fastest growing brands in, in the country, if not the world. And they just raised an additional $90 million to take this thing forward more. Oh it's my it's unbelievable. Wow. So you want to talk about Good an incredible him. story yeah. of, I remember when he was selling these out of the trunk of his car. Yeah. Talk, and we'll talk about the entrepreneurial journey, selling these things out of the trunk of his car when they were called Must Be Nutty. Oh okay? From his sister's recipe yeah. to walk into any Whole Foods, Central Market, HEB, anywhere, and they have end cap displays from top to bottom. I mean, it's unbelievable. Wow. I mean, Forbes, Fortune, fastest growing companies, 30 under 40 or whatever entrepreneur deals. I mean, unbelievable. So could not be more happy, you know, for what they've, what they've done. Yeah. That, that is, that's insane. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, granted, if, how long has the company been involved? Uh, in, in, I think Siete has been seven years or so. I mean, okay. this has been explosive. Well, so but so it's interesting. You talk about the entrepreneur, and 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 as I with Trigger Point, I, I sold Trigger Point uh, October twenty fourteen. So uh, since then, I've I've gone up and down and around emotions, trying mm-hmm. to figure out what the hell I'm going to do with my life. Yeah, uh, started another company, sold that interest. It was called Motion Stretch Studios. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the parlay of Trigger Point. Uh, it it was. It was great. I just I wasn't ready to be fully involved in anything. So so my interest in that. And since then, I've been trying to figure out, you know, what the heck am I going to do with my life? So all of a sudden, I come out with a book. I'm an Amazon bestselling author, uh, which is really cool. Uh, I mean, at least my family did. But I don't know if anybody else does. <laughs> um, and then I came out with a podcast uh, today, Valentine's Day, uh, is when we're recording this. And and. The, the whole idea is to share my experiences with those that are pursuing this entrepreneur lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting, though, because in four years, we're going to just round up five years, the millennial that I, I employed, about 50 millennials back in the day, mm-hmm. they think totally different now than they did then. Right. So everything, like all the people that are, that are working for me now, they're like, hey, uh, I'm going to send you a room or boom <laughs> capture of what I think we need to do on my computer. Now this is a video of them talking about what's on their screen. There's no outline. There's no kind of checks and balance. There's, it's like, here's the information. This is the easiest way to get it to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute, I, I pay you. So I need an outline. 
I need to know what needs to get done, when it needs to get done, when the timeline is, what the timeline is, mm-hmm. and what the deadline is. And I'll make sure that you get everything you need. But they're like, well, you know, if I have to write it down, that takes time out of my day. I'm like, but you work for me. I mean, that that's actually what you should be doing. So have you experienced that in, in, in your own personal life at all? Or So it's a great, it's a great point um, that you make about differences, whether they're generational, okay, or even just in the manner in which people work today mm-hmm. or the manner even in which I think you want to work or I want to work. Yeah. I was just having a similar conversation with my coach on the drive here because the two and a half hour drive to Austin, as I say, is very therapeutic for me. Yeah, great. And, and I do have a coach and I pay a coach to talk to me and help me with and work with me in, all, in a lot of these areas mm-hmm. because I work in also a business insurance risk management. We have 130 people at the firm. We have eight partners at the firm. We're all very different. We are very forward thinking and technologically based, but very antiquated in some other areas. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the right what the right way is, but I've experienced everything that you're talking about. And I think what it comes down to is, can we meet somewhere where the way that I need to work Value-wise, moral-wise, value-wise, timeline-wise, deadline-wise, whether it needs to be printed and written down or sent to me in an audio memo, you know, or a video file, there just has to be. They have to sync up. The things ha- there has to be alignment and authenticity there. Well, I, I no matter who's paying who. Hundred percent. We're getting lazier as a population. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. that. So audio and video capture is supposed to be a a vehicle. Uh, for accomplishment, whether it be mentally, physically, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. But if you don't have checks and balances, uh, you're never going to know where you are on that process. Absolutely. And so the, the reason why I say that is like Miguel, uh, seven years ago, let's say he starts his business. Mm-hmm. He's in the, the, the work hard mentality. If he's a CrossFitter, he knows how to push weight, mm-hmm. right? And the heavier the weight, the more he feels accomplished. So that probably has something to do with the way that his company grew so fast. Oh, sure. Is he's willing to work hard. Mm-hmm. It's a great, and it's a great analogy to say that too. Look, if you can go heavier and faster, yes, okay, you get you get the concept, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if there's no accountability, imagine if he didn't have any weight on the bar. He's like, "Hey, I'm just going through the motions," and you go, "Well, but you have no benchmark." I mean, if if you didn't know how much weight was on the bar, would you still lift the same amount of weight? Mm-hmm. Don't know. And that gets back to, I think, one of the other adages that was always brought up was, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. Well, I mean... Which was, do you want it to be hard? Well, okay? how, can you how handle old, hard? How old are you? So I'm 46. Okay, so I'm 48. Mm-hmm. So we are still living this life of hard work pays off. Our parents taught us that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether good, bad, or indifferent, right? But, but hard work will often yield a desired return. So that, that, that can be athletically, that can be physically, that can be mentally, however you want to define it. The question is, 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 our, is the entrepreneurial world of today, is what I'm finding, the entrepreneurial world of today, mm-hmm. is more casual about the approach, although they work harder than maybe we have in the past. Meaning their job is 24-7. This online entrepreneur that wants to be a personality, they're working 24-7 a day. Mm-hmm. And so, but they have the accountabilities and all the other factors that, I don't know, I just feel like it's a different time and a different place. I don't know. I think, I think it is. But I also think what has happened over the last 
however many years, probably for everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, well, it's the, the word entrepreneur, it's become sexy, okay? Yeah. It's become, I don't want to work for anybody else. I want to work for myself. It's I, the we work. I mean, I, we can all get offices in these amazing co-working spaces and play ping pong and have these incredible ideas and work around other people and execute them. And it's, I don't necessarily know if there's as much realization behind what it truly takes to be a successful entrepreneur versus just calling yourself one. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I, I like to say, okay, uh, you're an entrepreneur. That's fantastic. You know, I have a book for you and I have mm-hmm. a podcast for you and I have a lot of experience for you, but because you define yourself as an entrepreneur, doesn't mean that I do, mm-hmm. you know, do you own your own business? Have you had to pay rent? Have you had to pay employees? Have you had to push through hard yards? That's really what really defines, mm-hmm. you know, this this business owner. You know, an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. Well, I'm a social entrepreneur. What does social entrepreneur mean? Well, I post pictures on Instagram every day. And one day I'm going to be famous. Now, you know, maybe one to five percent, I don't know, becomes famous. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a very interesting YouTube. You know, when I, I've got a 10-year-old and 11-year-old, mm-hmm. and what do those kids, what do most kids their age think about? Video games and YouTube. They want to be a, a YouTube star or they want to play video games and make money. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, look, I've got a 15 and a 12-year-old. We talked about it for two seconds just walking, walking into the house. Mm-hmm. Two boys, you've got two boys. They're celebrities. Those individuals or personalities or influencers that they look up to are exactly in the space that you just described. YouTube and gaming. Mm-hmm. So what, what does that mean for the future? I don't know. I, but there are successful YouTubers and there are successful gamers. Mm-hmm. This has been pointed out to me, certainly by my older son. Yes. Mm-hmm. And who has now recently started a business also, okay, mm-hmm, which is completely online at 15 that involves bots and trading and drops of sneakers and and hoodies and all that stuff so he can get the inventory, get the auctions, get the drops at the right time, buy low, sell high, all of that stuff. Great. Okay. Well, theoretically. Did he he learn that from dad? Did not learn any of this from me. Now, because I don't know how to do what he does at all. I can sit in his room, watch the screens, be proud of the fact that he earned enough money to buy the dual monitor set up, yeah. buy the bot, all of the other stuff. But the situation was, was this. Uh, he had some success on his own very early, going very slowly with, with one pair, then a mm-hmm. second pair. Then it became, well, let's, if you want to do this, let's write a business plan. We got to write a business plan. Mm-hmm. Write a business plan. How much money do you need to capitalize the business? Am I investing in the business? Are we partnering in the business? If you need me, let's go through a lot of these modes. It doesn't matter what age you are, because if you are going to be an entrepreneur or a business owner, you have to be able to tell your story. You have yep. to be able to put together a plan that illustrates value, the purpose, process, and payoff. Mm-hmm. Think on the whole thing. What your cost of goods are, what everything is. If you use dad's FedEx account, well, it doesn't count. Okay. How do you set up QuickBook? I mean, what are your true costs and everything here? Wow, so 15 years old, he's doing all that. So he's had to do all that in order to get the investment. So, so I'm proud a, of him for that. Do I understand the industry? I don't really understand the industry. But that's okay. It's not, it's <laughs> right. not to you, for you right. to understand. But the coolest part about it is, so my whole mentality is, 
is passion first, process second. Mm -hmm. And if you can be passionate about something, you can always find somebody to build process behind that passion. But if you put process in front of passion, it'll kill the passion. So, you know, we're going to take this for for a, a an example. Mm-hmm. So your son, 15 years old, says, I love shoes, I love hoodies, I love fashion. I kind of know a lot about it. And I'm going to buy a couple of pairs of shoes and I'm going to see if I can sell them. And dad's like, you're an idiot, right? So then you go, okay, wait a minute. He's able to do this on his own. He's managed it well. And he's very passionate. He knows all the brands. He knows really what's hot and what's not. So then you sit him down and go, okay, now, I see that you're passionate about it, but I'm going to put a process in place so that we can measure your success. And with that, you can borrow money against, you know, what it is that you want to do from dad or whatever. But if you don't put those measures in place, you actually will never know if you're successful or not, because it's not about the money in your bank account. Mm -hmm. It's about the money that's in transition as well. Mm-hmm. So there's so many different variables that a young entrepreneur has to learn. And if you're if you're working out of your you know bank account, what's what what your bank account reads does not always mean how much money is coming in and how much money is going out. Yep. So to the passion and process, if I backtrack a little bit, how did you get Trigger Point started? Oh. From a, what were you doing as leading up to Trigger Point? And what was maybe that trigger moment where you said, this is my passion, I'm going to go all in and, and start this business? Yeah, great question. So Trigger Point was total out of passion. It was never supposed to be a commercial product. Uh, my body started to break, out, break down in 2002. It was really 2001. It had been doing it my whole life, but it really it became a problem in 2001 and two. Um, we couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, I went to every specialist I could trying to find somebody to figure out what was going on with me. Um, my left side of my body had gone numb. I was losing, I was losing, uh, dorsiflexion in my foot. I was dealing with chronic pain every day. And so the longer the short, the doctor said I had a six year old back and that I ne- I should never be an athlete again. Um, I may have MS. Uh, it may be fibromyalgia. We don't know. So I went to an alternative doctor and started doing vitamin C IVs, glutathione injections, B12 injections. I got massage. I got chiropractic. I got everything that you could. And everything will last for about a day, and that was it. And so then I realized I have to look at myself. I have to understand who and what I am in order to get to where I want to go. So biomechanically, I had to look at my body, but mentally and physically, I had to look at my body as well. What is going on and why? Now, the cool part, my little caveat, I found this rag dude called Jesus, and that's I started following him from that day on. <laughs> not the church, not the religion, not all that kind of stuff. Jesus, because he's a cool cat. Now, by doing that, I was able to look within myself and understand who and what I was and where my shortcomings were in life. And while also doing that, I started studying muscle tissue fiber structure, how to regenerate it. Married that with my biomechanical background as an athlete my whole life. I did stunts in Hollywood and all kinds of stuff. Long and short, I created programming specifically for my body to be able to help me have a quality of life. Then I created the products. And once I had the products, then I started implementing those strategies on myself. And I gained a quality of life fairly quickly. What were you doing at the time? Professionally, were you working another gig? Did you have another company at the time that all of this great. was going on? Yeah, another great question. I was in real estate for like two days. 
Uh, I had made my living as an actor and produced TV and film and all kinds of cool stuff out in L.A. I'd moved to Atlanta for a girl. So I was kind of in between. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the real estate, like I said, lasted for two days. I was trying to be a top-level triathlete again, so I was training all the time. And I had a lot of time to try to figure out what was going on with my life, with my body, and all the other things. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty unique situation, I guess, because I wasn't. I had money in the bank. Uh, so I wasn't pressed to go to a nine to five and then have to do this. Mm-hmm. But what I did do is I said, I'm going to train all day and then I'm, I'm going to start building this business at night. So just like any athlete, uh, I, an athlete and an entrepreneur are very similar. You know, if there's a finish line, we're going to go towards the finish line. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of times there's never one. <laughs> right. So um, I just became obsessed about understanding how the body worked. And then I was applying that to education, and then I was taking that education out to the public. Mm-hmm. And so it was never about a product. It was about what the education was. Mm-hmm. If I can implement a strategy for your life, I can ultimately define your purchasing decision. So education first, product second. And so the, the, the gist of that was I created Trigger Point for me. Nobody else. And then once I was able to change the way that my body moved, I was, I was in awe. And so then I said, okay, i got to start to share this with others. I had what's called a Frankenball that was an ugly ball that we started the whole business with. I mean, mm-hmm. our, our first product was $15. And I took the concept of that, and in 2014 when I sold it, we were, just, we were doing just under uh, $20 million in revenue a year. We were in 86 <laughs> countries around the world. And it was never about money. It was always about the passion for those that were in, that were in need of what we had. Mm-hmm. So when it became about money, I got out. It's, it's a really interesting point, too, and an incredible trajectory for the company. But you mentioned the first product, $15 in the ball. What I also remember about Trigger Point as, as a consumer and, and the way you guys positioned yourself as a brand was this was a luxury item in a way. This was a better quality product. This was a higher price point product. The way that it was formulated, the foam, the density of the whole thing, it had a look and a feel and a vibe that was not your average foam roller, if you will. You know, wasn't it? Yeah. So talk uh, a little bit about, about kind of that evolution and that space in, in the brand too, because you can go, I can get a foam roller or I can get I can get this. And you guys did an amazing job, I thought, of getting this value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, here's the deal is premium products deliver premium results. And so if you're going to punch a hole in a market that doesn't exist, you better start at the top. If you're starting at the bottom, you're a me too product and you're trying to just take advantage of dollars that are on the door. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to change the way that people look at themselves in the world, you know, in front of them, you, you got to start high. So, uh, the original products mirrored the feeling of an actual hand. They were all handmade. Nobody realized that at the time. It was a very labor intensive process and so our our, our our starter kit and our performance kit i can't remember all of them now but they were high price tickets they were yep. 160 bucks mm-hmm. but we said a bad therapist is who we're competing against i want to empower you to be able to take care of yourself i don't want you to have to rely on anybody for anything because you're ultimately setting yourself up for failure if you do that because you can't rely on anybody mm-hmm. nobody's reliable in the day and age of today so let's start taking the responsibility for yourself Sure. So that's really where those products came from. 
the the product that everybody talks about is is the grid. That's mm-hmm. the foam roller. That's yep. the 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 hollow foam roller, which we got the patent on after a, a long period of time. But the 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 one that every celebrity has carried from LeBron James to Kobe Bryant to Mark Wahlberg to uh, what's the soccer player's name? Oh, Beckham. Uh, yeah, that David one, Beckham. It's the only one I really know. Uh, so, yeah, well, that's good. Sorry, Brian Ching. Okay, I know you. I know you too, Beckham. But I know where you're going. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> well, so all of them were seen carrying a grid, and so I made that in 2007 because the economy went south, and so we started to think, how are people going to pay 160, 70, 80 bucks for a premium product if the economy is suffering the way that it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make a product that is is sustainable, not going to break down. That's going to be um, uh, the 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 foam is going to have texture. It's going to have a purpose. So I engineer the the core inside to be hard, so it wouldn't collapse. Uh, open celled foam collapses, and open celled foam is the leader in, or at the time it was the leader of waste in landfills. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm, I can't contribute to that. So I'm going to use an EVA foam. I'm going to I'm going to compress it in a way that it looks just like a meat tenderizer. So I'm going to push blood and oxygen through the tissue as you roll over it. So there's going to be a greater purpose. And then we're going to brand all the different areas as if it were the human hand touching you. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea was I wanted a product that was actually going to do what we said it was going to do versus a flat surface and an open cell foam that is never going to get the yield that you desire. Right. So this is going on a trigger point. This is your passion. You're taking your idea and your passion through execution. The company starts growing. Mm-hmm. Not that anything is a straight, you know, and, and linear, linear path. What do you say, or, or tell me a little bit about the emotional roller coaster of growing and scaling a company and creating basically a new brand at the top? You know, the the stores that told you you were fucking crazy, you yeah. know, or the mean one that said nobody is going to buy this or how can you prove this? So there's all this passion or just the constant thing. And I, re- I remember it, at least in my experience, just the constant like, no, 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 no. And turning those no's into yeses and staying on point and mission and passion. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, everybody likes to say no. And everybody likes to say you're crazy. And that's when I say, I think you're probably onto something. <laughs> you know, the more people say that you're crazy, the more I feel like I'm Steve Jobs. <laughs> right? Because everybody thought he was crazy. What he was crazy about was his products. And the experience that you go through opening those products and using those products. So he had the greatest trouble, I believe, communicating his vision. I think he was a genius, so he had trouble communicating of his, his vision. So in the end, everybody thought he was an asshole. Mm-hmm. Only reason I say that is because there are some parallels with me <laughs> and the, the, the process of growing a brand and a concept that didn't exist at the time. I mean, I truly wanted to empower people to be able to take care of themselves and do things they never thought possible. That was all I wanted out of life for everyone that came into my contact mm-hmm. at Trigger Point. So that meant I was very emotional with each person that I came in contact with. I could be talking to one person or I could be talking to a thousand people at a conference and I would treat everyone the exact same way. It takes a lot of time and effort. Mm-hmm. But the time and effort is 
the value is great because there's an emotional currency that you're transferring to these people. Now, there's a hard currency that you got to have in the bank, but that emotional currency is what allows you to keep going. Mm-hmm. Now, as I was keep as I was continuing on my vision, the path was changing every day. And so I went from having one employee to two employees to 50 employees and then distribution around the world. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I would not communicate well. I mean, I, I would be more of a coach than a CEO and I would be very direct and I would point out your weakness. And I'd say that that's something that you need to strengthen in order to stay on but I can't deal with, you know, this this reality of of of, of being um, uh, sensitive mm-hmm. at those times because listen, we're on the field. A day is a week, a week is a month, a month is a year. I can either coach it up or out, but I can't deal with the emotion. It's a horrible, horrible way to run a business. I mean, at the time, I think it worked, but when we went from kind of this old school mentality in the very beginning in 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6, mm-hmm. and then 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, we started to get the millennial mindset in there. And then it, it became less about hard work and it became more about uh, the, the, the passion for the company and what we're doing. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned when it started to become about money was when you got, was when you got out. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's why I stopped at 12. 13, 14, and on, it all became about money. Because the internet was so big. Amazon was so big. All our competitors became relevant. And then this grid, which was groundbreaking, nobody had ever had anything like it before. We had millions upon millions knocking us off. I mean, millions of units, not millions of people. Mm -hmm. So when the patent actually finally came through, on that product. Uh, I had already sold the company and M plus who acquired us went out and sent a cease and desist. And I think there were lawsuits and all kinds of stuff. I can't remember the exact number, but there were like 150 knockoffs just in U S that there were letters sent out to. That's amazing. And this was a concept that never existed before. So to, to really process in my head to go, Okay, never happened, never created, none of that, out of my head, into a product. And then 2012, 13, 14, we're killing it. The, the product and the product offering, because we, we created all these different grid-type products, it was unbelievable. So it's all about container loads and where they're going and how they're getting there. And we'd lose a container. Containers would fall off of the boat in the middle of no, nowhere. I have no idea where. And so all of a sudden, we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we get product to where it needs to go? And then all of a sudden, that product is blend. So blends means that there was a problem with it. So then there's people that are saying, go ahead and ship it, and then we'll get the return. And most people won't return, so it's fine. So we'll be making money off of a blend product, and we might have a better margin on those products. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. Premium products, premium results. So my point is, is when the process of, making money and lowering the cost of goods and doing all the things that every business should do, that was a time for me to go because mm-hmm. there were other people that could do it better. Was it just that there were other people that could do it better or was it just, it just wasn't as much fun anymore or it, you were starting to do things that you weren't doing at, at the beginning, you know, when it was all about 
the product yes. and the passion and talking about that message. And now it becomes, as you said, about process, about logistics and about things falling off the boat and about people I don't even see halfway across the world and the other people I don't see or don't know that are knocking off my product that we're trying to get the patent to go through. And all of a sudden, it's different. I mean, and, I, and I felt this with one of my businesses too. It's different. I loved, for a while... I loved making the videos. I used to have a sports video company. Okay. I was in production. I loved making the videos. I loved the production aspect. I loved the props of it. I loved the editing process. When it came down to distribution, when it came down to vendor compliance issues, when it came down to UPC barcodes and scanning, and NG, it, became, it was a different thing. Here's, a- here's my thought on that. That means that you were a horrible communicator. I know I was. Mm-hmm. And that the only reason I can say that is because when you love something so much, you don't squeeze it and choke it out. Mm-hmm. You love it and you share it. So when you have a message that is so powerful and there's something that you love so much, that's when we have to stop and we have to clearly define our vision so that everybody else can understand it. Yep. So then we can stay in the position that we love. And they can fill in in all the gaps that we hate. But unfortunately, what what happens when you're growing a business and it really is moving fast, Mm -hmm. you have to do these things for a while, the things that you don't like. And rather than let go, you start to prove to yourself that you can actually do it. And then that becomes your challenge. So as you're proving to everybody that doesn't care that you can do all of these things, the one thing that you love starts to slip away. Mm-hmm. And if we would have just stopped, would I say a reality check, if you just would have stopped and said, okay, here's what I love and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire people that clearly understand my vision and support me 100%. And as I plug those guys in, you get to be the musician and everybody else gets to be the producer. But instead, you live the producer life for a little too long, mm-hmm. lost the passion for singing, and in the end, you're like, I'm freaking out. I can't do this anymore. It's, it's, it's spot on. So what did it feel like for you that moment you decided you were going to step out? <laughs> Those papers get put in front of you, whatever the formality is, mm-hmm. and okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Now, what, well, what did that feel it's like? It's interesting. I, had, I, I brought a CEO in to run the company for a period of time because I was tired. And nobody cares that you're tired. Nobody. Your wife, your kids, nobody. Nobody cares. But I thought everybody cared. So I'm like, I'm exhausted. I got to put somebody in the hot seat. I got to go relax. And, you know, that didn't really work out well. When I came back into the business, um, I put a marker on what I want to achieve. I said, I want to sell in 12, 24 months. Mm -hmm. And so... I really worked hard to get the business where I thought it was going to be in a positive place so that it was not codependent on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we have a codependence on our business, and our business has a codependency on us. The decision-making process along that way, you come back into the business, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going I'm to position this business to sell this, 12 months, 24 months, okay. At that point, you have to 
you've got to actually execute on those steps. You've yes. got, as you said, put the business in a position where it can have the highest value, so on and so forth. Maybe it's not about money as we talked mm-hmm. you know, all together, but we've got to get this business into a position that if I want to sell this business in 24 months, I have to do this, 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 and this. How do you make those decisions? What type of collateral damage comes from making some of those decisions? I've, I've had a lot of questions. They say, how do you deal with, the, with people when you come back? And you, you've said Great you question. may not have been traditionally good at. Am I laying off some people? Am I going back to coaching hard? Am I having to be more um, softer maybe than I was before? But there's a lot that you have to do thinking about a business that doesn't always go well necessarily with, with people also. Well, it's interesting. Um, so I believe that, that uh, everything has its own ecosystem. Um, and, uh, I recommend, and, and soon John Berghoff is a guy that I interviewed and on my podcast, and mm-hmm. he has a great explanation of it. He says that all plants grow towards the sun, which is the source of energy. And so employees are going to do the same thing in an office environment. Um, so it was, when he told me that it was a very interesting way for me to look at it. What I did at the time was I hired somebody to come in and help everybody get on the same language. I hired a business coach and I said, I need you to come in and get everyone communicating at the same level. Because if I can't understand what they're saying, then shame on me. So I have to figure out what they're communicating, how they're communicating it so that we can all get on the same level. And then I can start to get this thing to rise. Now, we, we grew every year from the day that I started the company. So we were at a hockey stick from day one. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of pressure to keep up with that growth. But when it became time to say, okay, I'm going to exit the company. I know that this is what I'm going to do. I know why I want to do it. Then I then had to turn around. I had been running forward for 12, 13 years. 100% forward. I rarely looked back. And so this is the moment where I had to look back and I had to, one, look at my family office, meaning those that are in the office are my family. And then I had to look at my home family. And I had to look at my dependents. I said, I have a responsibility for my dependents to my dependents. So now it is about money. Because when I exit this, I don't want to ever have to work again. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to the keys of who and what I am and be the provider for my family. So I went from wearing a black t-shirt and jeans every day to I went to Nordstrom's, bought a bunch of nice clothes. Uh, Who is it? Um, Uh... I forget the designer, but I got like jackets, I got pants, I got ties, I grew a beard, I got glasses. (laughs) I mean, I went to, I played a role. And I played a role every single day. And I was an actor before, so I felt like I could do it now. And we all play a role at different times, right? Now you're Mr. Podcaster. Mm -hmm. In a little bit, you're going to be Mr. Adjuster, or you're going to be, you know, whatever it is. And so, but the whole idea is you have to mentally lock into what it is that you want to achieve. And once you can do that and play that role, you have a vision and you have a finish line. And as athletes, we love a finish line. But here was the difference. When I wanted to get to this finish line, I had to recognize the water stations. When I was running before, I never, let's say I was running a marathon. Mm -hmm. I didn't care about the water stations. What I cared about was getting to the finish line, the fastest. And if I beat people up along the way, fantastic, because that felt good. But now I had to stop at each water station, appreciate the water station for what it was, 
and share that success with everybody. Mm-hmm. So I had to slow down what I was trying to do internally so that I could get everyone to feel comfortable and confident in what we were trying to achieve. And in the end, I had to t- play another role and go outside of the office and set it up to sell. It is an emotional roller coaster every single step of the way because it's very hard to tell your employees, hey, I think I'm going to sell this company. Because what's the first thing your employees are going to do? Start looking for a job. Yeah, they're going to start looking for a job. Mm-hmm. So I had to make it so that I was positioning everyone in that company to parlay a greater career within the acquisition. And I felt like I really, really did that. There were people that stayed with M+. I think there's still guys that are still at M+, mm-hmm. that were with me at Trigger Point. Because I loved seeing the growth of an individual and see what they're capable of doing. Now you're back... In jeans and a black t-shirt right now. Yes. We still got the beard, okay? Let's talk about authenticity a little bit. You go to buy all the other clothes. You go to play the role, put the glasses on. How did you feel? You talked about the emotional roller coaster a little bit. Yeah. But how did that make you feel every day, either playing a role? Like, Did it feel authentic? Did you feel like you are just playing a role and you came home and went back to who you were. I mean, because these things change how you operate. And I asked this person, look, I work with navy blue suits and red ties for the most part. Okay? I'm pretty sure several of my partners go to sleep in a suit and wake up in a suit. They may just (laughs) jump off the bed and land in the fucking thing like a uniform, okay, in there. And then some others, okay, depending upon what our sector or who we are or whatever, look a lot differently. Sure. Mm -hmm. Now... Yeah, in playing that role, how did that make you feel from an authentic from an authentic standpoint? I think we all play roles at different times in our lives. You know, think about when you were single. Oh my gosh, it was a different role every night, right? When you were trying to, you know, find the ladies, right? <laughs> so, you know, the the thing is, is in life you have to have a focus, and you have to have a path, and you have to have a purpose. And if you have those things, you can do anything. Did I want to be wearing the nice clothes every single day and being somebody that I wasn't? It was still me. It was just the person that I had to be. But I had to be very humble in who I was in order to be that role, to play mm-hmm. that role. So, you know, a lot of people say method acting. You know, there are actors that can't get out of their role. That's what I was doing. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew how I wanted to do it. I knew where I was going to do it. I knew everything in my brain, how I was going to put it all together. I really did. It was just a matter of executing. And so you can't be afraid to play a role. You know, the guys that wear the suits in your office today, there was a reason why. Mm -hmm. Because they appeal to a certain client, right? You're not going to be able to talk to the same client. It's probably going to be very difficult. Sure. So you have a whole audience that you go after. And as long as there's a mutual respect between the two parties, then you can have five and a hug at, at the end of each day. Mm-hmm. But if you have any disdain towards the other person, then it's not going to work. And I believe that the negative thoughts come from your own internal discomfort in the way that you are being in life at that moment. Like there could be a suit and tie that hates you. And they give you that look every day. And you probably know one or two that I'm talking about. And guess what? They want to be you. Their authentic person is you. But they feel like they still have to play that role. 
They still feel like they have to put on the red tie, the white shirt, the navy suit, because that is a means to financial freedom. But what it is is mental frustration, but maybe, maybe financial freedom. Whereas what you've done is you said, I'm going to take who and what I am, and I'm going to be who and what I am, and through that, I'm going to be happy through the process. And if financial freedom is a result, fantastic. But I'm at least going to enjoy every step along the way. So, you know, the, the hardest part of any one relationship is knowing what that other person has gone through to get to where they are. What would you say to other guys out there struggling with these same emotions, the same roller coaster of emotions? Um, because I think it goes both ways too. I think as authentic as I can be or as vulnerable as I can be, I still look across the table, look across the room sometimes go, I could be, I could do better being more like that, you know, too. I think it's a two way, I think it's a two way street too. 100%. We all want to be compensate or overcompensate in other, in other directions, but understanding our own shortcomings or vulnerabilities or, or yeah, what the, but let's, what, what I like to see, say there is don't get lost in um, looking for acceptance from others while at the same time you're trying to accept yourself. And so you may look at somebody across the table and say, oh man, you know, I need to be this way in order to be more like him. That can be very dangerous mm -hmm. because all of a sudden you start to take on characteristics of a person and it really isn't who you are. And typically, that has to do with either money, they have more money, so therefore I need to pursue this, or they have something desirable in their life that you want. It could be a girl, it could be a car, it could be, you know, all these different variables. So that's where I, I go back to and I say, in order to be who you want to be in life, you have to accept who you are today. Mm -hmm. There were reflections in the mirror and there were reflections on paper. You either talk to yourself in a mirror or you write it down on paper and you actually see the reflection of your words. Which brings up another area that I've wanted to go. Writing it down. Yes. Okay. You just put out a book. Yes. And, then we're gonna, and you just launched a podcast. That's right. Were you always writing these things down along the way? through Trigger Point, through the two days in the real estate business, through the stretch experiment, and you will, getting in, getting out, deciding it was, have you always journaled, written things down, or worked with a coach yourself and listened, recorded, and formulated these ideas, these concepts and beliefs that you have? Great question. I am a big believer in the book is Blissful Ignorance. You have to be blissfully ignorant to do any of this stuff. <laughs> and it, the art of being an entrepreneur, I believe we're all artists. So I'm a very nonlinear thinker. And so I write a lot and I rarely go back to reading what I wrote. It's a shame on me. But I like to write to get it out of my head. And there will be times where I'll, I, I will write and write and write for like, I may write for an hour. I may write for five hours. If I'm in flow, that's just what I'm doing. When you write, if I could ask, do you physically write, sit down, and start typing or writing? I or write. do you talk? And I use, I use a pen, and I write, and nobody can read it. And it's just, it is this, this, this emotional connection. I was told that I could never uh, uh, perform at a university level. I was kicked out of college. 
because they said I was not going to be able to perform at a university level. I was told that I wasn't going to really be able to thrive after high school because I had such a, a learning disability. I was told that in, in junior high that I needed to go see tutors and all this stuff because I, my brain didn't work right, whatever the hell it was. And so later, dyslexia, ADD, ADHD, mm-hmm. dyslexia, all that kind of stuff. So here's the deal. I was proven, every time I write, I'm proving something to them. I'm proving something to the teachers, to the professors, to all these people that I can. And a lot of the time I was proving to my mom or my dad, listen, I can't be successful. I I was told that I can't, so I'm going to show you that I can. That was my motivator for so long. And that got me to where I, I became successful. But now when I sit down with a pad of paper, I'm not a journal kind of guy. I don't chart all this stuff. My goals are all over the place. They may be on my mirror one morning. They may be on my car window the next day. Mm -hmm. I put these things in my focus so that I can see them all the time. Because once I shut a book, they're gone. I can't remember where I wrote it. So when I sit down with these pads and they're top flip pads Mm -hmm. so that I can just flip over and over and over again, I'm just streaming a, a, a flow of consciousness onto the paper and most of it has to do with the internal thoughts that I have inside of my head and that is in in regards to any aspect of my life typically it is either it was about my business and the problems that I have with employees or now it's my personal life and what I want to do for my wife and what I want to do for my children is it all throughout the day or night also are you a guy that I keep a pad next to my bed. You know what I'm saying? Are you waking up at four o'clock in the morning, ooh, jotting stuff down? Okay. Do you have time now in your schedule where you say, I'm going to walk into my office where we're sitting right now and I'm going to write today because I am now going to put out content on a regular basis. Do you deal with scheduling at this point or I, are you on your own? Just, I'm on my own flow. When I, I wa- hate this scheduling stuff. I'm in a point in my life where I'm extremely challenged by doing something outside of anything that I want to do, right? So over the last several weeks, I've had to schedule a lot of meetings and I'm, it, 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 it make me panic because somebody's relying on me to be there at the right time. I'm fanatical about time. So I put a lot of pressure on myself about being at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. So in my everyday life, I hate to be on a schedule at all. Now, I have a very strict schedule, but it's not defined. You know, I go pick up my kid. I take him to tennis. I pick up my other kid. I take him to tennis. I come home. I take care of my wife. There, there are things that patterns that I do every day. Mm-hmm. You put your same sock on first every day. You put your same pant leg on first every day. So there are processes in my everyday life that I follow. But as it pertains to a schedule for me to sit down and write, if I did that, it would pull all the creativity out of me. Now, it's interesting. Before I launched the book, I was very nervous about the book because it's, I'm very exposed in the book. I'm very vulnerable in the book. But I believe vulnerability is the future simplicity of all marketing and sales. Agree. And so when I was, it was about three weeks before the book launch, all of a sudden I'm up at 4 a.m. every day. 4 a.m. I can't break it. And I'm sitting down in the kitchen and I'm writing. And I'm writing for three hours a day. Now, what was I writing? I could go back and look at it. But it was what I had to clear out of the way so that I could sit here with you and have a conversation 
without being encumbered by all the other thoughts that were sitting in my head. Because with success, it's very lonely. And with that loneliness, you end up eating yourself alive inside of your own head, wondering what to do with your thoughts. And so by putting them onto paper, I clear that pathway to be relevant and in the moment with every person that I talk to. So is that daily now for you also? Uh, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. I, I did it for three weeks, four <laughs> weeks, and I'm out. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have another kind of data dump of what I call flow. You talk about the schedule of picking your kids up and going to tennis and sitting in the kitchen and getting your writing done. And it makes me think about what type of father, husband were you at the height of Trigger Point, in the trenches of Trigger Point, and how you are now? And your kids are young. Yeah, that, you that, is, that is a fantastic question. Um, I was a douchebag. I mean, I, and, and, I, and I mean that in the nicest way to me, but I had to do what I had to do. I tried to communicate the best way that I could, but I didn't do it well. And so I believe that the life was all about me. And so, therefore, I had a responsibility to all those that were in the world that needed the products that we had. So the, the, the two parties that suffered was my wife and my children. And so I was pushing the hard yards every single day to build Trigger Point into what it was and to provide an answer for all the questions for those that needed Trigger Point. So when I sold Trigger Point, this is, this, is, this is the craziest part. When I sold Trigger Point, the day after I sold Trigger Point, I thought there was going to be a ticker tape parade. I thought everybody was going to high-five and hug, and there was going to be people dancing in the streets. Nobody cared. Not one person cared. My wife told me to take the kids to school. And that's when I started my new mission in life, was hashtag, be a better father, hashtag, be a better husband because I depleted those buckets and I gave it a hundred percent, but it was like 30% of a hundred percent, you know, in, in, in reality. So, because when I was around them, I had my phone open or I had, you know, I was doing other mm-hmm. things. I wasn't giving them a hundred percent of attention. So when I sold the company, I said, my business now, my life is dedicated to being a better husband and a better father. Do you think you were able to do that because you also always had that in you? Or was it a change that you had to make also upon selling the company and not having it anymore? So you only had, you had another place to turn your attention and your focus. But I guess what I'm asking is, did it feel natural to you to gravitate in that? Because some guys are... Things come easy to some that don't come easy to others. Right. Maybe easy for you to, to hit the gym you know, every day and eat right. Yeah. May not for another guy. Might be very easy for another guy, again, to get up, put that suit on, go to work all day, stay late, travel, enter, but not so easy at home to take the kids to school or to help with the dishes you know, or to be emotionally available with the wife or leave the phone in the car. You know? yeah. Did these... Were you always also doing these things with the business for the family, but then not being there for the family? So again, they didn't care when you sold it. 
what they cared about was, you know, what what are you going to do next? You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting because I was criticized by a lot of people because I didn't parlay. I didn't do something right away to build another, you know, mm-hmm. multi-million dollar company. There were opportunities everywhere. And I said, I'm not that guy. Now, I, I should have taken advantage of a couple of those things, <laughs> um, to be honest. But I was like, man, I'm, I'm tired. And I know what I need to do now. And so, was I always that person? Yeah, I was always that person. I always cared about family. I only wanted to be married once. I wanted my parents, I mean, my, my children to, to, to have parents that were really in each moment and relevant. Mm-hmm. And so, I came up with this theory of with not for. And I said, I'm going to do everything with my kids and not for them. And so, I dropped in on a half pipe at 45 because I was skating with my oldest son. And I was an inline skater. I wasn't a skateboard guy. So that took a lot of effort. But I'm gonna, I said, I'm going to do it with you, not for you. They're competitive tennis players now. I started playing tennis with them so that I could do it with them and not for them. And I realized through that process, my wife was always saying while I was building Trigger Point, I want you to do things with me, not for me. You can't buy me things and think that that's okay. I want you to be with me in the moment. And then I realized my employees were saying, I don't want you to do it for me. I want you to do it with me so that I can understand what you want. And then I can ultimately do it for you and everyone else. Yeah, I, I love this. Love, love this concept. Whether, and whether your wife developed it, you doesn't yeah, yeah. love this, this concept um, on so many levels, personally, professionally, that it just connects. And I hope it connects with, with almost everybody that, that's out there because it's really true. Um, and I'm going through even just the last week alone going, okay, how many times could you use this or hear something similar? Mm-hmm. You know, we had a, a board meeting for the Little League in my community, one of the largest Little Leagues in the country. I think probably we are the largest Little League in the country right now, struggling to find managers for teams. Mm. And you start okay, let's go back to your, to your concept here. Are these guys, again, working? Are they, you can do it for them. You can sign the kids up for Little League. You can write the check. But what do the boys want? What do the kids want? That's right. They want you to do it with them. That's right. You know, why are we struggling to find managers you know, for, for teams? And he said, I love the dropping in on the half pipe you know, thing. I'm scared, okay? <laughs> Look, by 15 years old, we're at the skate park all the time. We even, we're out in Venice, you know, yep. Venice Beach. Oh, yeah. And I'm on the longboard. I suck, okay, yep. on there. But I just identify and I love the concept of, of with, not for. I just think... I mean, the experiences over things, you know, something we That's always right. talk about at home. Experiences over things, and we're all fortunate that we're able to, we can get things. Yes. We can get things. But is skating with your son that much better of an experience than dropping your son off and having him skate on his own? Yeah, mm-hmm. so here's the interesting thing. Is, so we got a coach, went down to 12th Street, got a coach down there, worked with him to learn. And I could skate, but I couldn't skate a half pipe or mm-hmm. pools or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, my older son is really talented in all those areas, so he was he he dropped in like day two of being on a board, but appropriate pads. I said, here are the things: risk management. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. You gotta have everything, all the pads on, in order mm-hmm. to protect yourself. 
And the more comfortable you get, the more you want to start to remove those pads. But guess what? They're there to protect you. Just like your employment pool around you. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a bad day. And you got to know that your employees around you are going to be able to make up for that bad day. Yep. So then we had a coach. Why do we have a coach? Because he knew more about it than we did. So at the end of the day, he's the one that's going to guide us along the way. So he's doing the same thing with us with, I didn't say four in any of those categories. So he's going to do it with us. And then in the end, we're going to have our independence. Now, what you choose to do with that independence is ultimately going to define the risk that you're going to take. Now, he took a lot more risk, my son did, than I did. But the return was amazing because we could celebrate it together. Now, we have video of me. We built a half pipe in the backyard of our old house, and I'm dropping in over and over and over and over and over and over again. And he's like, he's, my son is concerned for me at this point because he's watching this. He's like, Dad, you got to stop. You just got to <laughs> stop. You're going to hurt yourself. And I said, I have to do this. Because the accomplishment is what I need to recognize for this milestone of turning 45. I'm still proving something to me Mm -hmm. that I can do this, that I'm not too old. And he had this huge appreciation for the desire. So right now, as a tennis player, as an 11-year-old tennis player, we have uh, hashtag FW1. And hashtag FW1 is future world number one. And he has it on his hat. And that is his mantra. And he truly wants to be number one in the world. And I said, I'm here to support you and be with you along the way. And if you make it, great. If you don't, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. And my youngest son, who is wittier than witty, wants to be a tennis player, wants to be a pro tennis player, doesn't have the discipline to train every day. And I'm like, dude, you know, you got to understand, sacrifice at the end of the day is what allows you to be successful. And I, was, I sacrificed my relationship with you and mom through the growth trajectory of Trigger Point. And now I'm repaying those debts, the empty buckets. But what I should have done along the way, and you can ask either of my kids, they'll tell you this exact same thing, is I should have communicated better through the growth of Trigger Point because then the appreciation would be that much more today. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do with the podcast now? You've got this time. You've got this freedom financially, emotionally. You do have to drop the kids off at school. You can't do every single thing with them unless you're going back to school, unless you're telling me something. I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) Unless you're sitting there in ninth grade or eighth grade with them. that'll be fine. What do you want to do with the podcast? What do you want to say? I love it. So I invest in a lot of companies now. Um, and, and I'm active in a lot of the companies. Um, so I really enjoy that. I say I'm kind of like a consultant. I'm, uh, I am, that's my doorbell. We got visitors. We're good. (laughs) I I influence, uh, I I, I influence everything, but I'm responsible for really nothing. So, uh, it's a really good, healthy place for me to be. Um, but so with the podcast, it opens more doors for more opportunities, Mm -hmm. more conversations, create more opportunities. And with that, you know, there's a lot of lot of different things that I can do. But what I really want to do with a podcast is I want people to understand. So I was, a, I was an athlete. I was an obsessive compulsive athlete at the age of 10. I was doing triathlons at 10. And I was a national triathlete by 16. And I tried to be a domestic pro cyclist. I was doing all that for my dad. I wanted my dad's approval. That's all I was doing was trying to get his approval. And so I took that 
and I turned it into a multi-million dollar business just in a different place. And so today, the day that my podcast drops or whatever the proper term for that is. I honestly don't know, yeah, but okay. I, um, I have a, a gentleman, Rock Thomas, that's on the show. Rock has a video on Facebook that's been seen over 70 million times. Unbelievable. Went viral. And it was about his childhood growing up with his dad. And there's a moment in the podcast that we talk about, did you ever get approval from your father? Mm -hmm. And he said, my father was on his deathbed. And I asked him, is there anything that you're proud of me for? And that's it. I don't think so. That was the motivator to now take this guy, Rock Thomas, to being financially free, millions of dollars in the bank. But he also works with entrepreneurs and personal development people to enhance their life, create the best life possible. Tony Robbins is a good buddy of his. But it, it is his life mission is to help others not have to be so codependent on those words. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, and I got to look into him I'm a, a lot more because the relationship with the father is is huge. Yes. And I think even one of the – you mentioned earlier that not everybody is an artist. And I actually always say everybody's a storyteller. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's in the storytelling business. We, yeah. all, we all are. Uh, well, my father passed away when I was 17. Mm. Had a great relationship with my father until I was 17 and he passed away. Mm -hmm. 15 because he was sick for a few it was very different mm -hmm. over there I think a lot of the reasons I do what I do are how I live my life because the notion that time is very precious and that relationship mm -hmm. can, be, can be over before you want them to be 100%. In, in there too so you look at the evaluation of going into say, Devoting yourself, throwing yourself all in to trigger point and maybe you do eh, whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I've tipped the scales to a certain extent. And I talked to my wife and my kids about this the opposite way mm -hmm. a little bit. Spending so much, you know, spending a lot of time, you know, the with, you yeah. said, not for, because I'm cognizant. And I've only looked at it as, well, 47. He was 47 when he passed away. Mm -hmm. I got to have as much life and as much time as possible because anything post 47 is borrowed time. Maybe. Right, yeah. It's bonus time, yeah. you know, if you will. So swinging the pendulum back the other way, we talk about it the opposite ways. You got to go do that for work. You, know, you got to go do that to provide. You got to go do that. I know you want to be at every game, you know, or you want to do everything. But, you know, this goes, it goes both ways. As long as you communicate clearly. Mm-hmm. And everyone understands your expectations. Everybody's fine. Yep. The problem is we don't communicate the hard yards. And we expect everyone to understand. And that is a false mm -hmm. sense of security. Absolutely. Which is where I think also we can learn so much from one another through oh, yeah. that communication. To say, look, I know... you know. I know I want to be a, a, a better father. I want to be around more. But that's or I know, hey, you better buckle the fuck down work-wise because you need to be a better provider, you know? That's right. Over there too, you know? And somewhere again, in the middle maybe, we get out of our comfort zones. We work on the things that we're not as good at or maybe don't come as naturally to us. And you find work to find that balance. Yeah, so there, there's two things on that. Um, there's the silent mentor, the mentor that never knows that they're a mentor. 
and you model yourself after them. And that'll help you get through the difficult moments of trying to take on a character that you're not Mm -hmm. or you don't feel like you are. Uh, And then the other is lead with love. Lead with love. You know, the whole additive or whatever it is, uh, treat people the way you want to be treated. Everybody's like, that's such bullshit. It's so true. I mean, it is really Mm -hmm. so true. And if we just simplify and say, lead with love, how do you want to be treated? How do you want to treat other people? How do you want to be remembered? When you die, what are the, what's that eulogy going to be? Are they going to say this guy was a workaholic asshole that didn't take care of anybody? Or did he love everybody to the point of taking care of those that were in need? And if you don't stop and think about that, I think you're doing a disservice to your elder years. Because as we get older, our responsibilities become our own. We're financially free, let's say. We can do whatever we want to do in life. What is it that you're going to do and why? And if you can't answer that, I feel sorry for you. But if you can, you've got a purpose-driven path, no matter what it is, to do whatever the hell you want to do. And on the, just on the last moment, because we were talking about the podcast, there, there's another guy that I have on that'll be in the coming weeks on the podcast. He's worth over $100 million. He was playing Dungeons and Dragons at the age of 20 with his buddies. And now at 51 or two, he's, he's worth over $100 million. The point of that is anyone can succeed. Anyone can get to where they want to be in life as long as they accept who and what they are and they double down on that person. And there it is. The book is Blissful Ignorance. The man is Cassidy Phillips. The podcast is called? Uh, it's still Blissful Ignorance. <laughs> Blissful Ignorance, Art of Being an Entrepreneur. Uh, you can look up Cassidy Phillips or that on iTunes. You can go to actually blissfulignorancepodcast.com. I want to thank you so much for your time today. I really, really enjoyed this amazing message. Best of luck with the podcast. Go out and get the book. Read it. Support it. Listen to the podcast. And we'd love to have you back because there's a lot more to talk about. Absolutely. Now i got to have you online. Awesome. Have a great day. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net.